Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carlene Higgins. Hey friends, happy Women's Day. I'm Carlene Higgins and I'm here with my trusty sidekick, Jill Dunn. We're two beauty editors turned beauty podcasters. Hey, Carlene. And oh, I can't help but notice uh, your nails. You've got a, like a cherry bomb. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I posted about this on the weekend. This is the first time I've worn bright red nails in uh-huh. I don't know how long. Like, I don't know what got onto me. I feel like I don't know if I just needed to. It's like winter doldrums. I needed that Uh cherry, but I'm loving it. I wear red nails all the time. And back in December or January, we were talking about the red nails theory. Yep. That sort of surfaced on Uh TikTok and how it's like everybody who says that they get they were kind of testing the red nails theory, which is like you get a red manicure and guys compliment you on your nails. Okay, so you think I'm thirst trapping. Is that what's well? (laughs) no. No, I think it's gone one step further since that initial conversation, because I personally noticed the color red is really having a moment right now. Like, I Uh think it's I don't know if it's a bit of like a middle finger to the patriarchy or what, but like Rihanna with that full red outfit during the Super Bowl, I felt like that was very powerful. We also had Doja Cat. Oh, yes, of course. Who could forget the crystal head to toe from Pat McGrath? Yeah. Is it giving handmaids? It's a giving cherry bomb. I don't know, but it's definitely a vibe. Yes. It's happening. Too bad it's not a pedicure. We could be like the patriarchy pedicure. It, you know, you get that alliteration. But that's actually... I think it's like give give the middle finger to the man. How about that? Okay. Well, that's the perfect segue in, into today's episode because it's Women's Day, as we said. And we actually are having a great old chat today with women we admire about the state of beauty and women in 2023. We're talking about the highs, the lows, the messy moments and everything in between. Joining us are two friends from across the pond. First up is Cherise Kenyon. Cherise has worked for the past 15 years as a writer, editor and photographer, mostly in the world of hair and beauty. She has a degree in fine art and photography, but her love for writing and beauty products took her in a bit of a different direction. 
Yeah, she started out working in newspapers before moving on to magazines where she interviewed people like Diane von Furstenberg and Dolce & Gabbana. And today, Sharice writes for a variety of online and offline magazines, as she puts it. She she shoots projects with brands for herself. And she's also the host of the Beauty Me podcast. And she's an incredible person to follow on TikTok. The richness of her content She has like an encyclopedic knowledge, I would say, of fashion and beauty, especially 90s beauty Mm -hmm. and fashion. So follow her at Sharice Kenyon. Love her. Yes. And we are also joined by Anita Bagwandas. Anita is an award-winning journalist, beauty editor, broadcaster, and the beauty columnist for The Guardian's Saturday Magazine and beauty director at Condé Nast Traveler. Her book, Ugly, Giving Us Back Our Beauty Standards, debuted last month in the UK. In her book, Ugly, Anita uncovers where beauty standards started. She unpacks why they've been perpetuated and unmasks the structures that continue to support them. And Caroline Hirons, she blurbed the book and it says Anita's deep dive into beauty, its history and the pressure to look, quote unquote, perfect is essential reading. And I personally cannot wait to get my hands on a copy. I have read rave reviews only thus far. So we're talking about beauty standards and, you know, full disclosure, I I could still go out and get Botox tomorrow. Does the limit exist and how, you know, how accessible it is today, these tweakments, how that can warp our sense of selves over time and at a younger age? A hundred percent. And hello, like bold glamour filter on TikTok. <laughs> These things are just fascinating to me and there's so much to to discuss. Plus, we tackle the whole notion of diversity, everything from body positivity, where did it go to BIPOC representation in the beauty biz? How far have we come really? And we tackle the meal controversy on social media recently. You know, whose hair oil is it? Who can use it? And we'd love to hear from you, our audience, if you think we've missed anything about the topic of beauty and women and where we're at in 2023. Of course, our DMs are always open. Please sound off in there with a voice note or a note. And we also have a hotline. We don't talk about it that much, but it's always open. Make that make that hotline bling. It's 1-844-227-0302. I feel like there's going to be some strong opinions that come out of this episode today. So let us hear your feedback. And with that, welcome Anita and Sharice. This episode is brought to you in part by Macy's. Just ahead, we're going to be chatting with our esteemed guests about some of the issues women and especially young women are still facing in the world today. And hopefully these kinds of conversations just help to build understanding and community and support for one another. Sometimes I do ask myself, though, what else can I be doing to help create meaningful change just in my day to day? And one thing I've been thinking about lately is where my dollars are spent supporting women-owned and BIPOC women-owned brands and by shopping with purpose at retailers who support female empowering organizations. Macy's is committed to creating brighter futures for all now during Women's History Month and with their continued support of Girls Inc. empowering a new generation of leaders. So if you haven't heard of Girls Inc., they're a nonprofit organization that serves girls aged 5 to 18 at more than 1,500 locations across the U.S. and Canada. Their evidence-based programming helps girls live healthy and active lifestyles so that they're less likely to engage in risky behavior. 
They're more eager to learn, more successful in school, and more likely to graduate from post-secondary education. It's all about perseverance and resilience. Your online or in-store donation will help fund education and career readiness programming, inspiring all girls to be strong, smart, and bold. Plus, at Macy's, you can discover and shop women-owned brands that I personally admire, like Beauty Blender, Anastasia Beverly Hills, Black Girl Sunscreen, Joanna Vargas, Kitsch, and more. Give back and learn more at Macy's.com slash purpose. That's Macy's.com slash purpose. And now back to our show. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture every Tuesday, okay? I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. Seeing as it is Women's Day, just thought we would kick it off with like, who is the woman who's living in your head rent free, as the kids would say, or you just can't stop thinking about right now and why? Taylor Russell, the Canadian actress from Bones and All. Okay. Very gory. Be warned, it's about cannibals. But (laughs) she, for me, is one of the few just kind of like taking risks, you know, like, It's award season. Mm -hmm. She hasn't been on that many red carpets, but I'm expecting big things from her for the Oscars because in the past, she's very, like, committed to a look. You know, she talked about a Scaparelli corset that she had to be tied into. And obviously, there's different things you can think about that, you know, suffering for fashion. But she's Mm -hmm. so into the beauty of the garments. And Mm -hmm. also, her makeup is just... I'm really loving her makeup. It's like this seamless blend. I love her hair. She's just one of those girls for me right now that I just think has got it all. Love that you (laughs) mentioned a Canadian and she's absolutely gorgeous. How about you, Anita? I think probably Viola Davis, who I am just obsessed Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. I like, I mean, even just on a very basic level, her Instagram is so funny and just so great and so real. It's just really mm-hmm. nice to see something that's not contrived and not like overly posed and like it's just very genuine. So I think she's amazing. And yeah, I just I think all the stuff she, she's spoken about in terms of colorism in Hollywood and, and stuff like that is really fascinating and and also, I guess, relatable. But yeah, just it, just quite a shocking state of affairs. And I, I think she's incredible. From an EGOT winner. <laughs> like She's mm-hmm. now an EGOT yeah. winner, which is incredible. Carlene, what about you? Who's in your head rent free? Okay, it's Whoopi Goldberg. So I don't know how many of you saw this floating around on Instagram in the last week. This was probably from picked up from like the 90s where Joan Rivers is interviewing Whoopi Goldberg. And she's like, she throws Whoopi this comment like, you know, don't you wish that you looked another way? Like, and then you'd look more, you know, you'd be more confident if you did. Right. And and Whoopi handles it with, you know, at first I'm just like, Joan, like cringe, you know, this is terrible. But Whoopi handles it with such grace. And she's just like, what are you talking about? I am beautiful. I do wake up in the morning and look at myself and chef's kiss, you know, Joan is just kind of floored. But then 
as they start chatting more, Joan is almost breaking down and she's like, well, I look at myself in the mirror and I think, why can't I look, you know, she says something really vulnerable. Like I was dealt this, like how, how, how do you expect me to feel when I was dealt this deck of cards or something like that? And I look at, you know, whoever it is, Cindy Crawford and just feel like, how can I ever be that? It's a real moment. And then you just feel so bad for Joan because she clearly suffered with her, you know, self-esteem and her looks. But Whoopi, it's just a vibe. It's like I, you know, just want to channel that energy that I think I'm fucking gorgeous. And, you know, I just love that. That's good. That's good. Isn't that sad that Joan, Joan was clearly feeling like that. She's probably been feeling like that all of her life. That's why, Uh you know, we know she did many surgeries and she felt she had to belittle this woman on TV. Like Mm -hmm. that is very deep and quite cruel. Yeah. So for her to come out getting sympathy and Winnie and Whoopi to be the one that's secure, that says a lot to me because she didn't have to take it gracefully. Yeah, exactly. But I guess she had to because she's a black woman on national television and things can go pretty left if you express she could have told Joan where to stick it she could have left the left the set yeah especially back in the 90s like yeah yeah. if you ever want to get really depressed watch Joan Rivers documentary (laughs) because it's like she is it's dark it's dark but it's incredible what she went through as a stand-up comic and all of that but you know I I don't feel bad for Joan she then went on to do (laughs) fashion police and like and took a like a strip off of every single person her brand was taking a strip off people so i don't feel bad for her at all although her documentary is pretty dark the person living rent free in my head right now is chelsea handler her birthday was just last week 48 years old this bitch was going down the mountain at whistler smoking a blunt halfway down she was wearing a bikini on top of all of that that comedy skit that went around last week of her just living her truth joking about being child free and just everyone's so bothered about it. She doesn't have kids and she doesn't apologize for it. And everyone is mad. I don't know if you guys saw that. No, I didn't know. That's really interesting. She's great though. I loved it. Just set off this firestorm of like Tucker Carlson and the like, and a lot of women, frankly, just being like, how dare you have the audacity to be enjoying your life as a child free person? I loved it. Yeah, me too. I have no kids and I will never. So for me, I was like, thank you. There's another side to being a woman. Exactly. It's like, yeah, we need to see more examples of that. A hundred percent. Sure. We get told the norm is having kids, but it'd just be nice to have some balance that there's other things you can do. And Mm -hmm. also I've spoken to many women that are mothers and they don't all say, if I had to do it all again, I would. They really don't. They they say I might have done things differently. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, I feel like the reality is that there's pluses and minuses to both. You know, you obviously lose something when you have kids, but you gain something too. And it's not all a bed of roses. There's, you know, taking them to the hospital, having your heart wrenched all the time. Why do we have to pit each other against each other? I guess is why I don't love it. I just think you don't see it. And I love all all the people in my life that are moms. Absolutely. But and I obviously don't have kids, but you just don't see somebody out there living in their truth and being like, this is an option as well. There's just so many layers to it. But I get she struck a nerve. She struck a nerve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think as well, you, if you're a single woman as well, I don't know if she's dating anyone, but I know she's been sort of single before. You, like there is like a pity if you don't have children as well. Yeah. There is like a pity level. You just don't see single women who are child free celebrated or like That's there right. is always like an element of like pity to it. And I think that she embodies the opposite of that. And I do get the sort of pitting against thing. But yeah. the, the narrative is so like skewed the other way. But it, it's really nice. It's empowering to see that. I could talk about this all day. So we have other things to talk about. <laughs> Namely, we want to talk about some tweaks and plastic surgery and what the vibe is in 2023. I mean, I think we have to kick off the conversation about Madonna and the backlash to her look and her face at the Grammys. Like, what do we make of all of this? Maybe, Anita, you can yeah. kick this off. Yeah, this is such an interesting one. I feel really I feel sorry for her because I think it feels like she cannot do any right and you know she if you if you look at artists who are sort of her age but male or even older Mick Jagger gosh I don't even know this there's so many so many different kinds of people they're just not scrutinized in the same way like they can still be sexual and you know like thrust their hips and do all of that whereas Madonna does anything like that and you know, to, or like wants to look a certain way and she gets so much scrutiny. Yeah. And, you know, she has, you know, that whole like, has she gone too far thing? You know, it's not really, I don't know if that's for anyone to comment on really, but she's gone as far as she thinks she needs to. That and that in itself is also sad that, you know, she feels like she has to look a certain way to to be relevant, to be noticed, you know, to look as useful as possible, to be sexy and to be relevant and to be, you know, to keep up, et cetera, with maybe her male is but I think that is that's the oppression that women feel in terms of anti-aging and treatments and all of that it's that sort of like pressure to look is like frozen and, and youthful all the time I think she's just a part of that awful pressure that we all face to, to be like that and I think the scrutiny over her face is really horrible actually and I think it's quite cruel and yeah I don't know I, I don't yeah I, I think it's sad the way that that she's yeah. been spoken about because she is incredible and I think we should respect that and she has broken boundaries and yeah all of the things I found it interesting that about like a week a week ago it was February 20th she tweeted out a picture and it said look how cute I am now that my swelling the swelling from my surgery has gone down lol and it's a picture of her with the braids and she has a hat on and stuff and I just thought that seems like a different version of Madonna that would even like address the haters in that way that she's like see I am still cute or whatever she felt the need to make a you know counterpoint to it I'm definitely not against plastic surgery or tweaks if that's what people want to do but I do think that you know sometimes people can go too far with things and unfortunately I feel like just with social media and media it ends up being this pylon and that's really cruel I just don't know where she goes from here is what I end up thinking You know, it's like you can't really there's no going back. So where does she sort of go from here? It'll be interesting to see. And Anita, I know that you wrote a piece for L.U.K. And I believe this must be excerpted from your book, which is out now in the U.K. and coming soon, I think, in North America. Yeah, hopefully. Great. So (laughs) the, the title of the story you wrote was called Have We Finally Reached Peak Tweet? And of course, your book is called Ugly. And you mentioned that the UK is the fastest growing market for facial filler. And yet our levels of body confidence and self-esteem seem to be decreasing. So what do you attribute this to when you were researching your book and and this piece, this article? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I, yeah, I mean, there's so many different things I think you can attribute this to. I think we are in like a very specific moment in time where there are so many, there are so many different pressures to look a certain way, Mm -hmm. but they're all weirdly, almost slightly invisible as well. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's almost like those sort of beauty standards have just gone like slightly underground and they've become, it's almost like they've become smarter and cleverer and they're they're sort of just under the surface. But in terms of the, the sort of, yeah, the, the sort of tweaks and the gap between, you know, that and the sort of rising levels of dissatisfaction with body body image. I think, I mean, social media definitely plays a part. I think what's interesting is that, and I imagine everyone probably can speak to this a little bit, in terms of, you know, magazines, when, when there was that period where everyone was like, oh, magazines, airbrushing, et cetera, et cetera, they obviously were, and it was terrible. But that, I don't think that's anywhere near as damaging as people using filters and and face tuning and like having having treatments and not disclosing them. Mm-hmm. People people who are in a position of influence that is, um, as the magazine stuff was, because social media does present itself as real and real life, and you don't get a second to go. You know, there's not like a separation like there is with a magazine. You don't get a moment mm-hmm. to go okay, that's not real. Like, so then you, you are looking at people and comparing yourself directly. And I've done it, even somebody who knows how much certain influencers or whoever or celebrities might, you know, alter their images or of how much stuff they've had done. Like even, it even catches me. And I think, I think that's a huge part of that dissatisfaction. And then that makes people think that they need to look a certain way and get those tweakments. And even the word tweakment is something I really dislike because it does. It makes it. It makes it sound like it's just putting on a face cream, and it, it's not. It's cute little tweak. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. You do it over your lunchtime. That was yeah. the way it was always sold yes. to everyone, wasn't it? You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think it's it's that simple. And okay, I get it. You know what? There's not there's not a huge amount of downtime, etc. But it just there was a point where I had some tweaks. I think it must have must have been about ten years ago, and it was the only time I had them. And it was a, as a direct result of social media. And I could literally see when I started following certain people, I like started to feel worse about myself. And then I had some filler and it was really noticeable. But the thing that really caught me off guard was that as that filler started to sort of wear off, the way the way I felt about my face that I hadn't really felt about before was that I just really hated it. And it made me hate, hate my, my original face. And it caused this weird, almost like slight dysmorphia between like how I saw myself. And I thought it was really... I mean, it was horrible to go through. And I, ha- I thought to myself, oh my God, at this point I was 30. And I was like, I can't, I'm not going to spend all of my 30s going through this. This is horrible. But it was also, I, I just don't think I've heard anyone talk about that. You know, the impact of, you know, almost like your face returning and like mm-hmm. how your perception of that changes. But also people don't talk about, you know, the dangers. There are dangers, even though, you know, that if done correctly, done by someone really well-trained, that, you know, they're generally fine. But there are dangers. People don't talk about filler migration, mm-hmm. which, you know, is starting to become a, a topic of conversation now. And that it does just stay in your face. And like you, you quite often do get that puffy upper lip thing or it can, you know, it can migrate elsewhere. People don't talk about the cost because, you know, it isn't just like a 300, you know, three, 400 pounds here and there. You are probably going to do that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And people don't. I think that is a choice. And I don't think that is taken seriously enough because you are choosing to do that. And I sort of think it ends up being a rite of passage for women after a certain age and I think we should we should be allowed to be more active in that decision and where we put our money and how we spend our money yeah mm-hmm. yeah Sharice do you have anything to add to that like just on the that whole you know almost like forgetting what your baseline was of what like your original face looked like I feel that social media like Anita said 
has affected it massively. And I even did an episode recently that was, it shocked me because I'm a photographer. So I shoot, I don't do massive retouching. That's not my thing. I let people know that early on, but I'm, I see it. And it's gotten so much more sophisticated so I can still see it. But what I learned recently, I couldn't believe how much Allure, who I love, airbrushed Jennifer Aniston. It, mm-hmm. it was so absurd, out of sync absurd. with the video she'd done for them. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. I was like, come on. Then, and I felt so stupid. I found out that actresses, not saying Jennifer, because this guy would not say who, they actually have it written into their contract that you must use AI software on film. Mm-hmm. So everything is tracked. It is not just photographs. It's every single move. And they won't sign unless you're giving that. So I'm just like, so we might never know. In some ways, I thought it was kind of cool. It means the likes of Jennifer could carry on acting till they're 90 and look, what, 60? (laughs) What I've noticed is just that that the age that women or that rite of passage, it seems to be like 18 now, if that, where they're already like, all the time you got these big influencers like Alex Earl or whoever. And they're like, well, I just got back from getting my Botox. And so that's why blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why are you getting Botox? Like, I haven't even had Botox in five years. You're, you're like 20. And I feel like that combined with the fillers, like the lip fillers is obviously a huge trend. And I feel like that demographic is like, I actually wonder about these treatments that the how it's broken down by age because I feel like it's probably grown in that younger set hugely partially because of you know the Kylie Jenner's of the world and the Bella Hadid's I mean would Bella Hadid still have the career that she has without that the amount of work that she's had done probably not and I think that's the thing is we've seen so widely on social media now, the before and afters, you always see those going around and like Kylie Jenner, they look in so different. And that's kind of young people. That's what they aspire to now. And I was on, I think it was Amy O'Dell's feed the other day. And she was talking about inconspicuous consumption now and how that's back because Kim Kardashian was doing her skincare routine with like the eight steps or whatever it is. And she's like, think of it 10 years ago. It was like she was putting on contour and now she's just doing using her bare face. And it's like, I feel like that is what people associate with luxury now is because they want to have no makeup on and still look like a mannequin, you know, still look like that filter. And it's, I think that is sort of where treatments are at and they've become so aspirational to young women. It's like, that's crazy to me. Like, I I just feel like for my age and maybe this is ageist of myself, but I'm like, oh yeah, I could use a little tweak here, a little tweak there. Like, but in my twenties, I just don't think I would have been thinking of that at all. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite sad because you never get to, you know, that time in your twenties, like you are still yeah. You're still getting a sense of yourself and like you don't get to, you don't get the, it's like, I just don't feel like we get the chance to love ourselves. We don't get the chance to, to be in our bodies and like inhabit mm-hmm. them before we are then told that they are wrong. And that, I mean, it happens a lot younger, but you know, I think that period in your twenties, like it's when you're sort of, you know, generally speaking, you're like you've moved out of home or like, you know, you, you are out of that generally, that education system or you're mm-hmm. on the only way out of it. And 
just don't get to find yourself before you are told there is something wrong with you and you need to fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just going to point out that I have heard people, you know, experts actually giving advice about it can be better, you know, the sooner you start, yeah. mm-hmm. the less you have to do later. And I think that's the dangerous yeah. thing. And that's why, yeah, in your 20s, yeah, it makes sense. But I've always wondered that I want to see what Kim might look like when she's 50 or 60, because if all that filler has to go somewhere, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it could be a big regret later on. We might hear from her years from now saying it was the worst thing she ever did. I don't know. Nutrafol is a real one and grateful that they're a longtime show partner. So I got my hair cut on Saturday and true story. The first thing my stylist noticed was all of this regrowth that I had. I hadn't been to see her in a minute and I had COVID back in the fall. And at the time, I definitely noticed some shedding that was happening. Didn't think too much of it, but let me tell you, my hair is growing back with a vengeance. Like my stylist couldn't believe how much regrowth that I had. And in my personal opinion, Nutrafol has helped me a lot with that. So Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. And Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning. So stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism through a whole body health approach. Nutrafol has three unique formulas to help support women through all stages of life, including postpartum and menopause. And each formula is physician formulated using natural drug-free medical grade ingredients in consistently effective dosages. So you get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months and more than 3,000 top doctors and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. Above all, nearly 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. So good news for Breaking Beauty listeners. We have a special offer just for you if you want to try Nutrafol. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BREAKING to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F ol.com and use promo code breaking to get $15 off. We'll link to this offer in our show notes and on our website. Now back to the show. Just speaking about, you know, the the conversation around body neutrality, body positivity. There's been so much about this, of course, but then now I feel like on the runways we're seeing like rail thin people again, one step forward, two steps back. I don't know if you either of you have insights on or if you've been paying attention to fashion weeks and and think that this body inclusivity thing seems to have just disappeared I think it's gone yeah I I, it's lately I've been hearing people say 90s skinny is back and I'm sorry I don't think it ever went away I'm sorry body positivity is a movement but it is not as big as you think and it certainly does not affect fashion and media like people want it to Mm -hmm. I there was this podcast I listened to a few months ago and I was amazed, but not surprised. And it was this, it's called Nymphet Alumni. They're all probably in their early 20s, these women. And they invited a casting director on, white male. And he was talking about women like they were just products. He was just like, they need to be skinny with an ass. And I was like, he's the one making decisions. Yeah. 
where did we go? I'm sorry, I do not believe that Skinny went away. Mm-hmm. I don't. As someone that's worked in the beauty industry, mm-hmm. I've been backstage 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I've been backstage recently. I'm sorry, I do not see it. There is, There are the outliers. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are. They're there. <laughs> the brands aren't thinking about them. I honestly think that they use them to promote their brand to another audience because much of what you see on the catwalk isn't always directly what ends up in the stores. Mm-hmm. It, it really upsets me because I just think it's not true. It's yeah. not true. It didn't ever go away. Yeah, yeah, I would. I think I would agree with that, actually. It's always it's always present. And I, I think the reason it's dialed up as well at the moment, and I guess this is one of the things I found when I was researching, doing all the historical research for my book, was that every single time there is a point in history where there is some sort of societal shift in terms of who holds power and who has space and who takes up space, the body standards skew back to, to being really super skinny. And you see that mm-hmm. throughout history. And at the moment, I think that, that that shift, I mean, it's lots of different things, but it is, it's Me Too and it's, you know, it's BLM and it, that is shifting the balance of power in our society. And as a result, now it's gone back, you know, it, it's like, okay, you've had a bit of body, body positivity, but now we're going to go back to controlling women's bodies and what they eat and to, to keep everyone focused on that so that, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. the power um- can surge back the other way. Yeah. Imagine the power of women if we didn't have to take up space in our mind thinking about how much fiber we ate today or if, you know, feeling guilty about getting McDonald's on the way home or something like I just think, yeah, those patriarchal standards do just keep us down or keep us from achieving other things. Even us talking about this, you know, there's no there's probably not a lot of dude podcasts talking about women's body image for an hour. It just doesn't happen. Now, I just want to touch a little bit on representation and diversity. And Sharice, you made an awesome TikTok video that went viral and it was focusing on the 90s American supermodel Jenny Chimizu. What inspired you to shine a spotlight on her if people aren't familiar with her? What inspired me was that, I mean, I've been pushing myself on TikTok for it kind of like challenging myself because, you know, I've been writing about beauty for about 15 years and the podcast, I was like, let me try and bring a visual aspect. That's not me putting on makeup. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of people that do that really well. So I was like, I just want to show people that I either found recently or in the past. And Jenny stood out because, you know, the classic, the language that would have been used back in the day would be tomboy androgynous, but she wasn't she wasn't very tall either. So she was pretty much, apart from being very slim, <laughs> she was the antithesis of the models that were around at the time. You know, she was the first minority, let alone Asian, first minority model to open for Prada. That's a, that was a big thing, you know, and we're still going through big things. This is the thing. I, I personally also feel that diversity is another trend like body positivity. Mm-hmm. I do not feel that it is a real thing but thank god for people like jenny because something went mad with that video it's like 1.6 million views and it made so many people happy it made so like so many people were like thank you i never had an asian american hero to look at that was also queer or i had people saying oh my god jenny was like the only woman that i thought yeah i i can be she used to describe herself as a, a Japanese-American car mechanic with tattoos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she ends up on the runway, you know. She is a unicorn. 
And we need unicorns because there are many unicorns that do not get seen, you know. So I was so happy that so many so many people are so happy to see it. Like I I picked her though, just like I've picked other people. And for some reason, that one people really felt yeah. it. So they had thirty six thousand saves, I found out today. And I was like, That's incredible. Wow. That's incredible. Mm. And then, Anita, I wanted to ask you about something that I saw on your website, which is an inclusion rider in media. And I think this is something that was quite topical, like in 2020, everyone's you know, saying, you know, if I'm going to be on a panel as a white woman, I want to make sure that other voices are represented and heard. But I don't know if people are doing that, you know, still to this day. And I was just curious what inspired you to create that. And if you feel like p- people are putting it into practice. Yeah. So the Inclusion Rider is actually, it was created by a friend of mine, Grace Timothy, okay. who is an ex. She's an ex, one of the Vogue beauty editors, and she's amazing. But we are yeah, together, we sort of created this, almost like a directory. And basically one of the, one of the sort of, I guess the excuses people have always used is that they're like, oh, we, we can't find a black photographer or, or like, you know, a photographer of color. We can't find, I don't know, like a makeup artist of color or whoever it is on shoots, et cetera, or a writer of color or what, what, whatever it happens to be. And so we put together this directory actually. And they were like, we were like, here's a ton of names. So we've done all the hard work for you. There's no more excuses. So that was why we did that. And people do still use it. And I get messages about it quite a lot. And so that, that was why we did that. But in terms of the diversity now, yeah, it's, it's gone back. Definitely. Wow. I've seen quite a few sort of panels recently, even within the beauty industry in terms of events and stuff like that, that are just sort of all white panels. And mm. it just feels like it was like, OK, we're going to do this now to be seen to like, you know, to look diverse, but we're not actually going to really change. And I think that's quite sort of, I think that's basically what the beauty industry has done with diversity. That it's like band-aided over it. And then it's just gone. Oh, OK, everyone's like looking the other way now. We're going to go back to the way we were. And that sort of is how it feels to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sharice, do you have anything to add on that front? I would just agree wholeheartedly. I think it was during that time I wrote a piece about being black in the beauty industry because I was like, no one's given me an opportunity to write this. So I just wrote it and stuck it up on Medium. And I put insights, like personal insights in there. And I spoke about a certain beauty founder that was very dismissive of her followers concerns during you know the very height of Black Lives Matter when it was like very painful to wake up every day wait wondering if someone's going to share that video again and preparing yourself for like that heaviness so I I did write something because I just felt like it's just a trend and there's people in pain and you know that word ally was just around so much and it felt like things could change and then slowly yeah, and we were all at, we were all at home. Pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. so much awful stuff happened, but everybody was at home. Oh, I can spare. I can I can be a little bit more open to the concerns of black people and brown people. And then things start ticking back to the, you know that word normality. Nobody cares. Nobody cares unless you're part of it because it's it's people like me and Anita that just feel like whoa, are we the only one on set today? Are we the only one at this show? Or you know, it's, and I don't, I don't mean to sound like bitter and sad about it. I'm just like, this is what it is. Let's just, like, do we have to be in tears to be acknowledged? Like, can we not just like be part of it? Because so many different black and brown cultures around the world contribute so much to beauty and fashion and culture 
but just being given a foot in the door or an opportunity like Anita's website, just letting you know white media know you could use these these writers, these photographers, these models, etc. It's just it's about an equal playing field, mm-hmm. and I think it's just been. It's just business as usual mm. with diversity, with with body diversity, mm. with you know color. It's I feel like it's business as usual, and, and that is annoying. And then for the sad part is you can't even see there's a whole wealth of other customers for you. I <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the thing. I think black women spend more on hair and beauty than than white women, for instance. I think that's meant to be a known fact. It's it's just it's it's madness in the financial sense. Yeah. And it's insulting, you know, yeah. in the cultural sense. I feel like from a like black owned beauty brand perspective, we've seen a lot of fantastic brands who have like really risen in the last few years. And I wonder if that, you know, part of the pull up movement and the 15 percent pledge and that has maybe made some headway. Like I feel like Topicals is the fastest growing skincare brand at Sephora right now. We just interviewed Ron Robinson, the founder of Beauty Stat, and they like at Ulta, his brand came in and it was like, I can't remember how many doors. I think it was 300 doors to start. And the sales just like skyrocketed in the first two months. And now it's in like 1200 doors. So I feel like it's there's kind of like a rising moment for black owned beauty brands. And to your point, like you said, like women spend black women spend a lot of money on cosmetics and money talks. So there's a bit of headway there. I'm curious how you feel about some of these brands who are going viral, but maybe not from black creators like the Alex Earl of it all. She had used the milk organics product for her scalp. And there was a lot of backlash from the black community saying like, you know, okay, this is what happens now. This white girl is using it on her hair. And now this brand is going to start, if it appeals to everyone and not just black women, then they're going to start diluting their products. And then it's not for our hair type anymore. And, or we can't find it because it's out of stock. And then on the other hand, someone might say, well, for a small indie brand to have this huge influencer who's like brought attention to the brand, potentially making it sell out is a good thing. Curious what your thoughts are there. Nobody doesn't, there's no, there's no one that doesn't want the founders of Miel to win. Do you know what I mean? I think the problem was, and I have to say, I didn't watch any of this stuff. I was like, here we go. So I avoid, I know the brand (laughs) and I know that influencer in particular, but for me, it's more like there's a respect for do you know how hard it can be sometimes to go into a store when you are a not white person and I'll give you a really recent example I only recently started relaxing my hair after a million years I haven't done it for so long and I went into a store that sells black beauty products okay it's we have a lot of them in the UK you know and they sell exclusively products for black hair So I went in there and I was just followed, followed around the store the whole time by these, let's say, security staff. And I bought the relaxer and I swore to myself, I will never set foot in that shop again. So there's just layers to it. I can see many people, you know, I'm a light skinned mixed race woman and I got followed around. There are dark skinned women, there are dark skinned men that will go into stores and be followed my husband can walk into Tesco to get some eggs and be followed around, okay? So 
there's layers to it being so easy for Alex Earl to use the products. There's that. But like I said, I haven't watched her video. For me, it's there's also the layer of education and just appreciation for knowing what the what the product is for. Is it going to suit your hair type? Or are you, the TikTok viewer, only buying it because Alex Earl said to use it? Like, there's just layers to this whole issue. Are you only buying it because she said it? It could be, you know, do you even know if it's going to work for your scalp or your hair? And then there's the the connotations of do you know how difficult it can be in 2023 for black people to actually go and buy that product mm. when it can feel like nobody else sees you. And I think there was this video going around of what it's like as a white woman to go into a shop, you know, because everything's for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and now you want these as well. So I think I don't have a, a problem with her personally mm-hmm. using it. I want Miel to like thrive. Just stick to remember who your audience mm-hmm. is. And then as a, if you're a white person buying the product, be sure that it works for your hair for a start. Mm-hmm. Don't take it off the shelf and then somebody else loses out. And just maybe just, you know, have some consideration for how it can often be for non-white shoppers. Mm-hmm. It's a good reminder. I, I'm pretty sure that Miel, Miel, Miel just got bought by P&G. So it will be interesting to see. I mean, get, I hope she gets her bag. You know, I'm here for that always. But it'll be interesting to see if they what they do with the brand. Yeah. So on a slightly different but similarish tangent, I mean, we see this happen with brands that culturally appropriate all the time as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess there's been like a big trend. Like, I mean, there's always in like a an Asian wellness trend of some kind that has been discovered. And you know, mm-hmm. it, I think the sad thing with all like both of these examples is that it takes like these things will only be popular if if it's a white influencer who does them, and that is it. Because we still, what we are told, you know, we are still sold white is the ultimate aspiration. And and now the algorithms are selling it to us instead of magazines. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. Until we change that lens on aspiration mm-hmm. and what, you know, like who we all like are told we should look like and we're told is luxury and told who is, is you know, the icon. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't think anything will change and things like this will still keep happening the cultural appropriation will still keep happening Mm -hmm. the same it's just the same thing over and over again let's close it off with anything that we might have missed that we want to touch on with women and beauty and beauty standards for this year well you mentioned about rihanna maybe being editor of vogue and i'm like (laughs) do it because it needs a change it needs to be shaken up yes anna but go take a rest maybe change your hairstyle like (laughs) Come on. Wouldn't that yeah. be and, just and a complete is, paradigm shift? Oh, it'd be amazing. British Vogue is pretty much kicking US Vogue's butt right yeah, now. 100%. You know, I mean, the fact that Rihanna gave that shoot with her firstborn child and her future child mm-hmm. to British Vogue rather than US, to me, that spoke volumes. And US Vogue is going down to 10 issues a year, whereas British Vogue is in profit. Like... Yeah. So well, change is always good. That's what I would say. We saw the receipts online of the monthly newsstand sales and it was tragic. Yeah. A Vogue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anita, do you have anything to add? I guess on that particular point, I'm still like, I yeah, I definitely think it needs a shake up, but I still think it doesn't have to be a celebrity. There are loads of people who've worked really yeah. hard. There are great mm. journalists of color out there who could come in and do a wicked job. I sort of feel like that with the whole Pharrell Louis Vuitton thing. Yeah. Amazing, cool. Yeah. Oh, but you've got an same. opportunity here to pluck someone who is like 
you know, who was like the star of their like London College Fashion or like whatever it is, who has worked to get to that. It doesn't, mm-hmm. don't take those opportunities away from other people. That is my thought because you mm-hmm. don't need it. You don't need the money. You don't need the recognition. You don't need the fame. There are people that worked really hard to get those things and, you know, they do deserve them. So that is, that's my, I, I just think people, you know, deserve those things. The biggest conversation, like for me, that I just, I think, well, I'm hoping it's going to be huge this year is the aging conversation and mm. how we treat older women is disgusting. And I really hope that that shifts this year in terms of even just how we see them, you know, just the lack of them on TV, the lack of the diversity, even within that, if you see an older woman on TV or in an ad campaign, et cetera, they are still, you know, they're usually a former model or, you know, they always spin. They're always, like, always look a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mama, the mother of a like, billionaire. She'll do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's always, yeah. It's bravo, always her. bravo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love to see that conversation really just, I don't know, just become more and more empowering because I think actually then this whole tweakment thing is probably going to die off a little bit, probably not not a huge amount. And I'm not anti-tweakments. You know, mm-hmm. I might have something in the future. I'm never closing myself off to it. But I just think, if we're allowed to love ourselves as we get older more and more and we see more examples of women like really just owning their own beauty and their individuality, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. I just think we would feel less compelled to want to do this at 20 because we see mm-hmm. another way that there's another way to be. So that's my hope for beauty mm-hmm. standards this year. Well, it was so great to connect with both of you and we, yeah, happy Women's Day. Happy Women's Day. Happy, yeah. Thank happy you, Women's guys. Day. Thanks for listening. You can find details on every product mentioned in today's episode, along with our exclusive promo codes on our blog at breakingbeautypodcast.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Every episode will be delivered directly to your inbox so you won't miss a single thing. And get social with us. Let us know what you think of the episode. You can follow us on Instagram at breakingbeautypodcast. And did you know we also have a private Facebook group? Just search Breaking Beauty Podcast chat room. You can even leave us a voicemail at any time with questions or feedback at 1-844-227-0302. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast fix. Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, where you can show us some love by writing a review. See you next Wednesday. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.